Blog Talk Radio. This is Texas Frightmares 2018 in Dallas-Fort Worth. We are waiting for the Losers Club panel, and we're on with the Sexy Witches. Welcome to another edition of Archivist Bets on Sexy Witches, a podcast from the Geek Girls' perspective. And I am the head hauntress. And, uh, well, it's kind of funny because if you look through my thread on Facebook, I am tagged in two or three different film festivals right now by friends that all have stuff happening. I have a bunch of people tagging me on local uh, media conventions. And I have, like, like, every, I mean filmmaker on the planet is telling me their film is in this and that is this. So, you know what? It must be the season. It must be genre season. It must be the fall. It's staring us in the face. And this is our last regular episode of Sexy Witches for the season. Because starting on the 24th, we will shift gears and go into full-on Halloween mode, mode, mode. But first, let's get through tonight, shall we? And we have a whole bunch of motherfuckers on the line tonight for the first hour. First hour, we've got, first of all, let's see. I'm just going to do this in the order that the calls came up on my feed. So starting a little bit closer to home in Charleston, West Virginia is my repo nerds co-host. Yes, we haven't done a repo nerds in a while, but Steve, I'm sorry, I'm neglecting you, but we will get to it at some point. We will do the Elvira episode and the Twin Peaks episode before the season's over, I promise. (laughs) I believe you. Maybe it'll Maybe it'll be the same episode. We'll see. We'll see. uh, (laughs) Whatever works. Yeah. So, uh, but please welcome to the show, the Wizard of Wandling himself, Steve Wizard Wandling. How you doing, sir? You're on with the Sexy Witches. Oh, I am fantastic, and uh, I love loving the new nickname, the new moniker there, so I I appreciate it. Yeah, good to be here. Excellent, and thank you for calling in tonight on our second to la- our well, our last regular episode of the season. The rest of it is all seasonal stuff, and we only uh, this is it. This is our last like you know normal episode. So, you made it a year. You guys officially are finishing out your season. How do you feel, Steve, about your season on Repo Nerds and Sexy Witches to date? I feel like it's been amazing and way too fast. As soon as you said a year, it's just, uh, you know, time flies. That's the seasons for you, man. They just keep changing. So, um, and I'm going to change to another sexy witch. This one is in her new home, but old home. Something very familiar about the place that she resides now, the Enchantress of Nevermore in Portland, Oregon, Raven Jasper Hawk, welcome here on the Sexy 
Pixie Witches, how you doing up there in the Pacific Northwest again? I am totally drenched. And it's raining. <laughs> well, that's pretty normal then, isn't it? Yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I'm glad you're drenched in talking with us on the phone. Because no one can actually see that you're drenched. We can just all have wild imaginings of what you look like right now. I'll just squish up against the phone. It'll be lovely. Most <laughs> <laughs> well, excellent. All right. So, so are we um, just not doing you- phrasing anymore? <laughs> I did phrasing the other oh, help day. Help yourself. Help yourself. Yeah, you can phrase it. I mean, um, so Raven, it's you are the last regular episode of Sexy Witches for this season. Um, how do you feel about podcasting at this point? I regret everything. Just every decision I've ever made. <laughs> no, I also cannot believe it's been a whole freaking year. It feels like it's been two weeks or something. It does go by really fast, and here's to many more, hopefully. Yeah, Yeah, well, we we actually have, for the season, we have, let's see, one, two, three, four more episodes left after this. We have the 24th, which is the live rules read of the madness, and then we'll have a, I won't give a date yet, but sometime in October, we'll have the Halloween episode, and then we will have the best, uh, these, one of my favorite episodes of the year is November's which is these are a few of our favorite things, which is our best of 2019 episode, Everything We Loved But Movies. So we save movies for the next season. And then last but not least, this year we're having our our Halloween bash, Star Wars, Frozen 2, Disney Takes Over the Universe, and all the other ones too, extravaganza season finale. So right off the tongue. Yeah, I kind of made that up right now. Wasn't that amazing? <laughs> I mean, that'd be a long banner, but I would hang it up, man. Oh, it's going to be crazy, man. I mean, Disney really is taking over the world this Christmas. They're just dropping a Star Wars movie and Frozen 2. It's just like, just send us dollar bills, yo. You give us all your money. And, and speaking of that, that Let's bring on the, my cousin over in Orange County and uh, Aaron. Disney's been taking your money consistently all summer. <laughs> there is no God but Mickey, and Walter is his prophet. Blessings of peace. <laughs> 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 Welcome to the sexy witches, guys. <laughs> yo, yo. Nice. Good evening, witches and warlocks. How y'all? Yay. Hello. Hi, Kevin. You know, we call so this sexy this. witches. Yeah. We are. So this is, we're going to just, for the first half hour, we're just going to hobnob all of us sexy witches together and catch up with all the shit we've done. Because it's been a while since we've all been in the same virtual space for a while. And then at 9.30, really exciting, Jill Six, a.k.a., oh, my God, I hope I can say her name right, Gaver, <laughs> Gavargazian, okay? It's a very difficult name. She calls herself. Uh, I hope she doesn't hate me forever if I misspelled, if I mispronounced that. But Jill Six is here. Uh, she's awesome. She did this short called The Stylist a couple of years back that was really, really popular. And uh, uh, and then she did One Last Meal, and she's about to fundraise for a feature film with The Stylist, and I'm so excited to have her on. She's one of the best film directors on the film on the horror film circuit. And that's at 930 
And whenever she feels like changing gears uh, and leaving us, uh, we will switch gears. And then I'm going to get to take a coffee break because I'm turning the reins over to Steve and Raven. And they're going to dish about true crime stuff, something I'm not very good at. So all I really know about true crime is like inside edition, maybe, or unsolved <laughs> mysteries. There you go. Wait, Unsolved that's not mysteries. what we're talking about? You know, that's all I really know about true crime. I don't really watch any of the modern stuff. I've never seen Mindhunter. I've never listened to Serial, which is really surprising yeah. since I listen to hmm. a lot of podcasts. Um, you know, oh, uh, yeah. what was it? Check true Detective. Serial. I've never Get seen. Real. I've never seen True Detective. I have me? watched enough. I have watched enough Dateline. I could I could go to blow on Dateline because I watched all those Catch a Predator shows. Uh, those were mm-hmm. terrible. Uh, <laughs> so, I never anyway. saw those. But I'm gonna let you guys talk about that stuff because you guys are bigger fans of that and serial killers and, and and those are our I I like my monsters to be a little bit more on the fictional side. That's not a bad thing. That's why I have such a diverse group coven of sexy witches so everyone can talk about all the fandoms because all fandoms are valid whether I can talk about it or not. Um, so that'll be after 10 o'clock and then if we have anything else to talk about talk a little madness uh Definitely, uh, you know, other things. Whatever the fuck we want to talk about, we got to get it out now because the rest of the season's locked up with other cool things. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, let's see, who wants to go first on there? Let's talk to Raven because Raven's not been on the show very much in the last month. That's because she was making the dollar bills, y'all, doing some plays and stuff, and that's pretty much now kind of finishing it up. So, talk about your summer what did you do for it did you kill any murderers and shove them under a dock or something uh i don't know what you are talking about i certainly (laughs) did not do that but besides not doing that one thing i did was age a year uh to the age that i am now and during that time that's right happy birthday and so did i i had my birthday too happy birthday neighbor I know. Um, and and in old fashion, I went to see a movie where I knew I'd be out and in bed by 9 p.m. I oh, went to the no. wonderful Academy Theater and got to see the 2019 Apocalypse Now Final Cut. Yeah. So it came out this year. It was still only two bucks. Support your local theater, Whoa. dude. <laughs> two dollars. Oh, yeah. Two dollars. And I got a slice of pizza. And sat down and enjoyed the movie. Um, it was amazing to see in the theater. I personally like the Redux better than the final cut. Uh, there's about mm. 25 extra minutes after. Uh, uh, oh, my brain stopped. Uh, lead character, help me out. <laughs> it's a scene. It's a scene. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so th- remember their boat breaks down and they're hanging out with the French uh, army yeah. for a little bit. So, yeah. yeah, they that is extended to Sheen meeting a French woman there and having dinner and having very just run-of-the-mill at-the-same-time dinner table conversations and then uh, a bed 
a bedroom scene. There's nothing happening in it other than them lying in bed smoking and talking about philosophy, uh, which is it's pretty shot, but uh, it's just it stops the action and the suspense just like running into a brick wall. So it's not my favorite cut, but I was glad I got to see it. I, I got to see Ooh. it when it was first released back in the day in, in the 90s in my youth. Um, they showed uh-huh. it in a repertoire theater, the, re, the, 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 the director's cut with, uh, what was the other film with it? I'm blanking now. It was, oh, Brazil. How could I do blank that? Oh, it was nice. like the most amazing <laughs> double feature. Uh, miss, you know, yes, support your repertoire theater. Yeah. Um, we love, you know, absolutely do that. So, but you were uh, not just going to theater, you were directing theater. Talk about that a little That's bit. That's true. Yeah. So, um, I was helping on a production of Hamlet for a company called Clever Enough. It just closed on Sunday. Uh, the show, not the theater. Uh, but it was in a, it was in a refurbished old chapel. So, um, It kind of already looked like a throne room, which really worked really well for it. It got a good review in the Willamette Week, which is the snarkiest newspaper in the Northwest. Uh, (laughs) They live to tear arts apart, so I don't know who got the blowjob, but thanks for doing your part. And (laughs) the other show I did, I was a makeup assistant for an original rock ballet done by the Fame Academy in Portland, and... They are sponsored by and housed by Portland Opera, and they uh, work with dancers who have developmental disabilities. So uh, they are differently abled dancers, which just means they have all these superpowers that you wouldn't even ever think of to move their bodies. So uh, that was pretty badass, and it sold out the final weekend. So that was a success, and I met some really great people and performers. Excellent. And so now you've moved, you decided your LA stint is over and you're back in Portland. What does the future? Gelatinous. Oh, the future. (laughs) Uh, I guess the next step is to live out of something larger than a carry on item. That's what I'm currently doing. Uh, But if you're in the arts, you're probably used to that. Yeah. (laughs) no biggie i just gotta grab some stuff from la i'm kind of i can't say bi-coastal i guess i'm bi-statal um, <laughs> and i'm just kind of moving stuff a little bit at a time so i don't have to do it all at once <laughs> that's well, my plan uh, and then get back into theater stuff up here i've got uh i've got some contracts and stuff that are in the works so i can't talk about them yet but when they're when they're signed and stuff then i will spill the beans Cool, cool, cool. So, uh, so I I won't go into like you. It was a rough couple of weeks for you, but there was a lot of positivity yes. in there too. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, there was some universe just being a dickwad for a moment, and you know that's how it, it is. It, that's how it always is for me. And, and you can even talk to Aaron Kogan. He probably knows some of these stories. I always have like the worst thing ever and the best thing ever happen at the same time. Like, yeah. you know, like m- big, the most extreme example I can tell you is my, I was found out I was pregnant the day I pulled the plug on my mother. I mean, that, that's oh like, my God. 
Yeah, I mean that that is like I don't want to up anybody's game. That's not what this is about. This is about just right. shit happens. Yeah. And, and you know, I, t- I I'm talking about it publicly. I don't know why, but I am. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, hmm. um, you know, but but it but but the the thing is though, that's I think nature trying to correct itself. Like the best and worst of everything happens all at once. So get it all done, yeah. move it on, so we can be bored. Because yeah. being bored means exactly. we can fill our lives up with movies. That's how I exactly. feel about it. Let's be as bored as possible so we can watch films. Um, so sorry for getting all dark bored. there for a moment. I don't know why <laughs> yeah, I was getting so dark. dark. Let's let's um let's just let's stay on the we'll stay on the west coast here and talk to my cousin after I did some weird dark stuff with with Raven there. Um, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> someone's tuning that. in just right now. I know, man. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, Aaron. Wow, I gotta follow that, that huh? Uh, well, be, well I, it's funny because you don't have to, you, you still have a lot to report, but D23 is over, San Diego Comic Con is mm-hmm. over, everything for mm-hmm. at least a month or two is settling down until it hits October, then everything explodes again in, in the Southland. So you're in the calm before the storm. What's happening? Oh my God, there is so much freaking about to happen. You're, you're right. It, it is eerily calm, but. God damn, stuff is about to go down. Um, speaking of Comic Con <laughs> 2020, um, we just got news today that the um, rarely used, or at least the past few years, rarely used uh, Jack Murphy Stadium right there uh, is going to have a monster uh, concert that's going to be uh, Green Day and. Uh, Weezer and someone else, and oh, it looks just that. fucking insane. Isn't that Fallout Boy or I'm, something? I'm down. That'll be huge, right? Yeah. So, and and um, may I just say in advance to all, all the residents of uh, downtown San Diego, our bad. Really sorry. Uh, no one's getting in or out <laughs> that weekend. <laughs> I mean, Comic Con's bad enough, but. God damn, you're going to throw a monster concert on top of that. So, the answer uh, is yeah. Fallout Boy and Weezer are the Thank two you. other bands. And I, I knew Weezer was right. I mean, that is like a pretty poppy show. Old school and new school there. I mean, you know, but it's still, it's yeah. still it, I, it, it is a little older, but I think some people will still go. It'll be popular. I'm down. Then again, that's it's that's my musical wheelhouse. I'm yeah. <laughs> um, I have never seen Weezer um, a, a uh, live, and I've never seen the Pixies live either. And they tour together sometimes. That's I saw them. I got to see them both at Lollapalooza. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Uh, I've well, seen Frank Black in concert. But, um, cool. He was awful by himself, but uh, oh, <laughs> really? actually, I don't know. He's, it's not that he's awful. I just don't like. I didn't really like that record. Um, it was like Teenager okay. of the World or something like that. Um, but it's still cool. Oh, to I see remember him. that album. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was. He opened for They Might Be Giants of all people. So maybe that's why I was like regretting it because I was like, let's get the Giants. <laughs> So I've well, seen were you Giants there for him, or were you there band. for their may, they might be giants? 
I was always there for They Might Be Giants, dude. That's what uh, I thought. But every, once, yeah. in a, but every <laughs> once in a while, they have an awesome opener. I mean, that he wasn't that terrible of an opener. He's actually kind of cool for that. Um, and I saw somebody else open from that. I was really surprised. Anyway, I don't. We're, this isn't about me right now. I've got more shit to talk about. So, uh, anything <laughs> else, Aaron? Um, well, yeah, we're getting ready for, as you said, um, the fall season, and uh, the pumpkin spice must flow. And uh, <laughs> my my ticket is punched, man. I am I am so effing busy, and I'm okay with that. But I better be getting some goddamn points for this. For the madness is all I'm saying. Um, oh, yeah. We've oh, you... got. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said you probably will. Right on. Um, not Scary <laughs> Farm uh, had its media preview uh, this past weekend. Um, not, if you don't know, is uh, said to be the the largest and longest running Halloween event uh, in a theme park. Uh, they bill themselves as the largest. Uh, Halloween event in Southern California, which I think they pretty much take. Uh, this year, it runs on select nights between September 19th and November 2nd. So it's a good long effing run, and it's going to start very soon. Uh, we have all kinds of freaking mazes up and down one side. Uh, we have Carnival in which scary clowns take over the boardwalk, which was great the year that the madness was scary clown themed. Um, we have a sci-fi horror maze called Dark Entities, second year that's coming back. We have the return of Dark Ride Castle of Chaos, which started in 2017, which is basically a broken down uh, amusement ride that you have to walk through, and that's a lot of fun. Oh, cool. uh, we've got the second year of Forsaken Lake, which takes place underneath Silver Bullet, the uh, roller coaster. And oh, wow. uh, that's kind of cool and eerie, and wow. uh, it's got things that uh, try to drag you down into the water or make you think they're going to. Um, go oh, Street, I would not like course, that. It's <laughs> the original. Um, uh, lots and lots and lots of fake fog and weird mutant animal hybrid things jumping out at you and uh, those guys that run at you and then have the, the metal knee pads so they spark and make noise at you and that's always cool. Uh, brand new this year we have Origins The Curse of Calico which is apparently uh, set back in the day with witches so yeah. our, our um, um, bailiwick. Um, this year we've got Brian Henson's Puppet Up Uncensored and uh, <laughs> this is kind of fun and weird. Um, it's basically, I guess, improv, but with puppets. So, okay. you know, what, what could go wrong there? And it's uncensored, <laughs> so no kids. Um, we've got a brand new maze called Waxworks, uh, dilapidated wax museum. That I'm already there, you know. You don't really have to tell me anymore. I'm I'm on board. You can do cool stuff with that, yeah. There we have uh, Timber Mountain Log Ride, the Halloween Hoot Nanny. Uh, we've got Time Zombies, the Hollow, which I love because it's so atmospheric. Wait, I'm sorry. Wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. Did you say Time yeah. Zombies? I said Time so Zombies. Zombies that time travel? Fuck yeah! I said Time Zombies. Um, <laughs> special Ops Infected. Dear <laughs> sir, continue. Special Ops Infected, which is uh, kind of like 
a paintball thing, except, you know, it, it's more laser tag, and you're running through a maze, literally running through a maze, shooting up the undead, and that's just always a blast and always nice. a fucking line out the door. So my recommendation is pay for the buffet, get the all-you-can-eat Mrs. Knott's <laughs> chicken dinner and boysenberry pie. First off, you got your ghouls and your scary clowns and everybody coming in while you're eating and making fun of you and scaring you, and that's always fun. But then you get in early and you book for special ops infected and then you do everything else because that's always got the longest stupid line. Um, we've got Into the Fog, a scary uh, farm art tribute show taking place uh, across the theater from where Elvira did her thing back in the day. Um, what else do we have? Oh, um, Awaken the Dead, which takes place in the uh, the Mexican side of uh Knott's Berry Farm, so that's going to be a Day of the Dead kind of thing with uh, live bands performing and da-da-da. Uh, so, yeah, um, for the buck, Knott's Scary Farm might be your best bang as far as uh, theme parks go. Um, it, it usually up, is. Oh, uh, it, it was on the, half as price as what Disney was when I walked in this year. On the other side, we've got Universal Hollywood Horror Nights. Well, um, you know what? Let's save that because I've got to give Steve yeah. a little bit of a shot, and our guest is calling okay. in in five minutes. But we right, will right. talk we about will... Halloween Horror Nights next episode because I will talk about the madness because you and okay, I have done right Halloween Horror Nights, and we can tell. And you can look at the thing, and we can even tell people how many how much points they are. Right because on. You'll, okay. um, you'll know the Should I? So, say something about how Redneck saved Hollywood? Uh, well, you're going to have tickets for that. I do have tickets for that right now. Yeah, we'll talk about that next episode, too. Alright. Um, then, um, should I talk about Oogie Boogie Bash? We can talk about it towards... Get, let's give Steve some time! Hold on. Okay. No, no, no. Go, go. Go, go. I don't know what you want to talk about. Go. Go, Steve. I want to talk about it all. Not really. Not like there's a spotlight on me. Steve, give us some <laughs> dish. I, I gave you, I gave you the dish. I took it from Aaron, who was I holding know, on you to did. it, and gave it to you. So, do you have anything to report from your part of the world? What if I, I just say said no? no and there was well, silence? You can <laughs> defer your point. You can defer your no, time back okay. to no, the. Actually, there's. There's there's a few things like speaking of just happenings and things coming up in the next few weeks that I'm doing. Uh, number one, I um, I'm launching um, my website, which uh, is creepylovely.com, which is uh, uh, kind of a horror movie website, but a little bit more. But uh, uh, shameless plug there on Friday. Uh, so been really working hard on that, but uh, doing a couple uh, things that are fun to do fall here in West Virginia, like. Um, there's the Trans Alley Lunatic Asylum that uh, one time was, uh, I think, the boasted as the largest stone building in uh, either the U.S. or North America, and it's just a very huge, um, uh, old, broken, or just old, uh, closed-down mental asylum. They were going to tear it down at one point in time, and it was used during the late 19th century uh, up until probably 
I don't know when it was closed, um, but a long time ago. And they do tours through there and ghost tours. So uh, Rachel and I are going up and, and doing one of those, uh, uh, like, ghost tours for that. And then we've got the big Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant, nice. and we've never done that, and we're going to go do nice. that. So oh, good. That's you can report weird. back on that because we, yeah, we've never had anybody go there. Just, uh, you guys are doing Halloween Horror Nights, but I need to hear that because I've never been and I we got tickets. We're going to Orlando well, that's this right. year. Yeah, so, so we definitely need to talk this. about it. Yeah, uh, I need to we're know. We're going to pad in extra time for the Madness Rules. We're going to go two and a half to three hours, two and a half hours for that episode. So there'll be plenty right of time for everyone to catch up with, with, with the horror happenings they're about to do. Cause we're, we all have stuff planned for October. All of us. Do. Right. Uh, you know, I'm also going to monster mania. Um, and you know, and, and don't forget that's our, we don't have any more regular episodes. So we're going to talk about that episode. Um, so that's the only reason why I, cause we're getting that close to time, but, but I, I know Aaron, you have so much shit. You've got, like, how do you keep doing this? I mean, I, I feel exhausted just listening to you half the time, and I know you're it's older than I am. It's freaking ridiculous. It's, it's freaking ridiculous. The only thing <laughs> that uh, I, I should really mention, um, and, and I, the rest we can just do wrap up later, but I, I really want to mention, uh, if you're in Southern California, you have to, have to, have to take a look at Dark Side in Riverside. You can find it online, thedarksideinriverside.com. It's put on by um, Inland Empire Comic Con. It's an IE Comic Con event. Uh, panels and experiences. Uh, a live concert. Fits in the tantrums. Your ticket gets you in. Uh, the usual suspects Tony Todd, Linda Blair, a bunch of others. Uh, a right. Night of the Demons reunion and screening. Friday the 13th, wow. 40th anniversary kickoff celebration. Um, Eric Fox, who uh, they all say is uh, a Riverside local legend or whatever, uh, who's designed for films like Sharknado 3, a lot of trauma productions, music videos, uh, da-da-da. There's a hearses and car show. There's a screen competition, mazes, costume contests, and freaking horror speed dating. What else do you need? So seriously, I, I, I go want look to at question that. the the validity of horror speed dating, considering I know a lot of guys who are horror speed or who are single and horror, and I, they do nothing at fast speed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, well, isn't speed dating just horror to begin with? I mean, I, yeah. Uh, Am I missing something there? All dating. Right. Thank all you. Dating is scary. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's all good though. Marriage is scary too in its own right, but um, sure. you know, more cats, a lot more cats, unless you're a crazy cat lady. <laughs> uh, Speak for yourself. <laughs> uh, I have, I only have one cat, but he he represents in my mind a whole like room of cats because I can't have you know. Right. But, uh, anyway, hmm. you also have like, to count all cuties. the neighborhood cats. Oh, actually, there aren't very many neighborhood cats around here. We have a neighborhood Ooh. fox, and we have we have neighborhood deer, and I and we have neighborhood osprey and egrets and blue herons. So all those are great wow. neighbors, but but not a lot of kitties. Some doggies. Um, I have my yeah. doggie. 
Um, so it was Doggy Day, and every you know, so um, International Pet Day was this week too. You know, so gotta love your dog. Right. Fandoms of all types. Cats is a big one. Sure. Everyone loves cats on the internet. <laughs> Grumpy Cat right. just got its own mural. Just so you know. Um, Aww. I'm stretching for time here because uh, it's 9.30 and our guest hasn't called in. But uh, I'm going to go ping her. Uh, but I will tell you that um, I should announce that um, the SP2, 3 and 4 right. Indiegogo went live last week. They're already Yay. halfway to their Most goal. Years. And, nice. um, you know, it, it, they're they're using the uh, map I commissioned for them as one of their advertising pieces for it, which makes me all super, super excited. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, it's a beautiful map. Uh, it is. Oh, she just came on. Oh, excellent. All right. So hold on. Just I just snuck in. Hello. <laughs> you're on with the sexy witches. Hello, everybody. Hi. Good evening. Hey, Jill. How are you guys doing? I I don't want to butcher your name. It seems like every single one of my colleagues that are directors have the longest names, and I always mess them (laughs) up, and so I apologize in advance. So um, I know her as Jill Six, but her real name is, ma'am? Jill Gavargazion. You were pretty close. I was close. I was listening. (laughs) <laughs> uh, thank you. I feel a little bit better now. Nice. So welcome. You're on with the Sexy Witches, <laughs> and I am so delighted because you're one always been, when I made a list of people that I wanted to have on the show, you were on that list, that initial list. And so I, I'm really honored that you you are now on the show, and you have a lot to talk about. You're not just here to talk about yourself, though. We're also going to dish about Stephen King because we have one final Stephen King segment to do before we peace out for the madness. So, welcome. You're on the Sexy Witches. But before we get on to Dishing and Fandom, I want to introduce you to the Sexy Witches, and then I want to talk a little bit about yourself and what you uh, pretend like my audience. Most of my audience probably does know about you. At least some of them do. They don't. Please tell them. So first of all, we got uh, Steve, Raven, and Aaron all on the line with me. Everyone, say hello to Jill. Uh, Hola. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hello. So this is like this. This show is kind of like one of those 1990 parties lines where everyone's kind of talking about <laughs> stuff and chatting. So Jill's first time on the party line. So what? Welcome and why are you on with the sexy witches besides being awesome? Well, um, I'm a filmmaker, and also I program a little screening series here in Kansas City, and right now I'm fundraising for my first feature film. I've made a lot of short films, but I'm ready to make the jump. Nice. Right on. And, and, and I'm delighted you contacted me. Thank you for coming on the show and asking, you know, and, and uh, saying talk about your fundraiser. Uh, I was, as you know, I have seen both One Last Meal and The Stylist, and so I, I, I'm a fan of your uh, your work for sure, um, and the stylist is a, is a clever little short did really well on the festival circuit a couple of years ago, and so um, I've seen it without spoiling it. Where are you going to go with this? What was what what? And I know you are a stylist in real life. 
how are you going to expand this into a feature? I'm so excited to hear about this. Um, well, the film is about a, to put it simply, a, a hairstylist who is a serial killer that collects the scalps of her victims and wears them much like Leatherface does with faces. Um, and so in the short, you really just get to see, like, you know, one kill. And in the short, we were trying to, trying to like, capture the moment of her life where she's totally spiraling out of control. Like, she's, if the short were to carry on, she would probably be arrested shortly after that because she's made a lot of stupid decisions within that kill. Um, and we're basically trying to capture the same time of her life in the feature, but a way longer version where you get to know a lot more about her. It's kind of her slow spiral and self-sabotage um, versus kind of like telling her life story starting at the beginning. It's more like telling the end of her story. Hmm. And, uh, and it sounds really exciting. Uh, and uh, the fundraiser, you're about halfway there, and you got 16 days left right now, so you can go find it. I've posted it at a bunch of places as well. Uh, but you also just yeah, we're recently on, launched... Go ahead. I would say we're on Kickstarter, which is the all or nothing, so we're really begging you guys to help us if you can. Absolutely. Uh, a lot, she, she has a lot of fans of the stylist. It did actually really well, like I said, on the festival circuit, won a few awards. Uh, One Last Meal also just launched, which is a lot of fun. Uh, and part of it is because of location. The location you, you use in that film is really, really cool. It's this old, creepy-ass prison. And uh, so uh, you, you want to talk a little bit about that for a minute because I really want them to hear about this location. Yeah, in fact, like, just being able to shoot in the prison alone, no matter what I was shooting, I was, like, a kid in a candy store. That's awesome. I I love to, like, explore, you know, creepy abandoned places. I really like old architecture and kind of just how those places feel inside. And I didn't know that this prison actually, like, was a – was shut down. I didn't know anything about this prison. It's in Jefferson City. It's the Missouri State Penitentiary. And it closed in 2004, built in 1836. So it is like nothing, you know, anyone built anymore. It's three giant stone buildings full of cells that look like something out of Europe. Like, they're so beautiful. Um, Wow. And they keep it open, luckily, for tourism and actually keep it around what's sad about this country at least that, that I know of we really like just abandon these beautiful buildings and just like let them slowly completely fall apart which I think is so sad um, yeah though I do think was, there is a bit of an upturn there because like uh, you know what Steve was saying there's the old asylum and they're doing ghost tours there now um, Eastern oh, State yeah. Penitentiary um, in Philadelphia is very popular, and Penhurst Asylum yeah. got a shout out in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which I thought was pretty awesome. Uh, so right. I, I'm glad to see that. So you are representing for historic buildings, and I'm an archivist, and I used to be a park ranger, so it's actually something near and dear to my heart is preserving old buildings. Nice. Uh, so yeah, um, we, uh, what was crazy is when that the, I didn't write the uh, one last meal, but I directed it, and when 
Eric Stoles, the writer of the film, when he first like told me he, about the initial idea, I was really just approaching him like, I want to make another short, but I, I don't have anything written. Do you have something that we could make? And he's like, I have this script laying around from like a couple of years ago, but he started it by saying it's set in a prison because he knew I would be like, what the fuck, dude? Like, that's not going to be an easy location to get <laughs> without a lot of money. It's like was where my head first went. And I'm like, so I just Googled like abandoned prisons in Missouri and this comes up and I'm like, how did I not know this existed? And I just like lost my mind because I was like, I would have at least gone just to see it if I knew it was a thing years right. ago and so I was geeked out I kind of got like my own private tours every time I went down to scout it versus like making the film was the better way to see it because we got to go like so many times before we shot um, but yeah it was a, it was awesome and like the creepiest most cool place I've ever shot I was like do people in the city know this is a possibility to shoot in like everyone should be writing things set in prison just because <laughs> this is here <laughs> Because like it, it, it'll make your movie look like you had a million dollars, and they do not charge <laughs> that much money to shoot there. Like it's, obs- I hope they're not listening, but they should be charging way more money. <laughs> <laughs> I my my cousins live not very far from there, so I could totally like go. <laughs> you should. So uh, I haven't visited my cousins in ages, though. Um, their truck drivers are hardly ever home. Uh, so, but getting back to Eric Stoltz, right? That's his name, right? Did I say that right? I'm hoping I'm saying that right. Stoltz with uh, a Z-E. Stoltz, that's right. Stoltz, not Stoltz, Eric like Stoltz the hot redhead. Everyone, Stoltz. Yeah, not him. Okay. Not Anaconda, not him. Eric Stoltz. Everyone thinks that, though. That that bed was the safest place on the planet at that during that movie. I mean, everyone else is dying and he still sleeps in the bed the whole time. Anyway, uh, but Mr. Stoll, not only did he write one last meal, he also is writing with you the feature length version of the stylist, and I believe, and he also wrote my favorite werewolf movies in the last few years, uh, late phases. And so talk yes. about your collab. I've asked you about this before, but um, I want talk about your collaboration with him. Well, um, when I was first kind of, we're actually connected on another feature film that's in development that may never come out of that phase. Um, that we met on two and a half, like a little over two years ago. And it's a film we really want to make. Bria Grant is attached to star in it. It's a supernatural film. Um, but uh, so through a couple producers, I was introduced to Eric through that. Like they were looking for a director for this project. And so I'm attached to it. But uh, that's how Eric and I met because it was his script. And I was just like so blown away by his writing that I asked him to help on the stylus. So we had already been writing the stylus for like two or three years at that point, but it wasn't perfect. And we wanted to take take out a major part of it, and that would mean we needed to add a lot more, and that's when I brought him in, and he's, like, elevated the script to a place I couldn't even imagine. So it was well, kind of like he I might be perfect. He knows – I mean, you're, you have such a good eye for composition, which is always still in my mind, and he has a really good eye for char- and voice for character. Like, late phases yeah, – the, the strongest things about late phases isn't actually the plot itself, but the character study that you're watching. 
So I can see him being perfect for a uh, perfect like uh, foil for you and working together on the stylist. It makes total sense. Yeah, he's incredible. Um, in fact, I'm so sorry. There's my dog. Okay. It's okay. We love dogs. I was just talking. I was just petting my dog and rambling a few minutes ago. So. She, she wants to join. I think. Um, but yeah, is this of, the dog that appeared in the stylist? Is it the same no. dog? Unfortunately, okay, it's not I her, but that dog it, it is another. It is another Chihuahua that I feel like maybe yeah, I've got I got a Chihuahua the too. <laughs> uh, lovely, awesome. love it. It's like Frank Capra with a Chihuahua. <laughs> okay, yeah, she's now like commenting. <laughs> um, but yeah, Fair part enough. of the the idea of making a short with Eric was also like a business move or a. I don't know what the word is, but I was like, I want to establish us as also as a team before, you know, like before these features come out or hopefully when we make them. Yeah. (laughs) I'm super, super excited for you to um, that you're going the next step. We always knew you would get there though. Your fans know and have every faith that this is going to be awesome. We're looking so forward to it. And I can say it because I know a lot of us were really excited to hear you were going to expand it. Um, hopefully, we're going to help you get money you need. We help her out. Uh, but I wanted to talk about, I, don't, I was telling you that I have this horror movie contest. And this year's theme is the summer of, well, is Stephen King and Clive Barker and Mick Garris and the Masters of Horror Dinners. Um, and um, one of the things that I like an interesting link to stylist I had was with, with that list was um, the scouts in the stylist. Um, I am Lusting and Maniac. Is there any shout outs to him at all besides the obvious? Are you a fan of, of that movie? Um, what, what were your influences as, a, uh, as a, a filmmaker and as a kid when it comes to horror? Um. Well, what's weird about Maniac is I didn't grow up seeing Maniac. And so it wasn't as, like, deep in my head, I think, to influence me that much. I saw it, like, I saw the old one around when the remake came out for the first time. So ah. she she was more inspired by, like, a mix of Leatherface and May. Um, ah, As nice. far as, like, characters. Yeah, that I was wondering there. about May. Lucky McGee um, is also on that list, just so you know. Yes, I am a huge <laughs> fan of him and his work. Uh, Yeah. But then I did though, like while making it and through the feature, I've, you know, like I've looked to maniac for lots of just ideas and stuff because it is so similar in to the point that even it, but I feel like it's different. Like they scalp and he puts it on mannequins, but the difference is those mannequins like become his mother, you know, versus, Claire's trying to, like, become these people, which is more like Leatherface. Like, each mask Leatherface wears, he acts different. He acts like that person that it is, Um, which is the same idea we were kind of going – we're trying to go for with Claire. Um, Uh, Claire almost reminds me in some ways of a vampire. Like, she's trying to recapture youth and beauty beauty and constantly failing at it. Um, She's not – yeah, I do know it's, like – people pick that up a lot but it's really it's not about beauty to her it's about escape um Mm -hmm. it's really not so much about the outside but that is a natural layer of like what's going on in the film since it's so much about this uh, industry of like being beautiful um well 
it, it's a satisfaction. What I meant by beauty is not just outside, but like the internal yeah. satisfaction that she's getting from this. That she's not. She thinks she's gonna get and when she looks in the mirror. She doesn't see it, right? She doesn't feel yeah. it. So and it I is mean, similar. It's like an addiction. Like you know, the blood is to a vampire. Just this. Wow. Like. Cool. And in the same way, they're like, you know, tragic characters, which is what I like about like old monsters, like Frankenstein's monster or vampires. They're always portrayed very like, you know, like they're damned to this existence. Like they don't have a choice to, but to be what they are, which are monsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my daughter, I was very pleased to, and, 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 and I know it's terrible to say, but at the end of Wolfman, she cried for him. And and which for me was wonderful that she picked up that this was a sad ending to a story and not a heroic one. But she was so yeah. upset with me <laughs> that I was she thought I was laughing at her, but I wasn't. I was like actually like moved, right? That she watched one of my favorite movies and picked up on the tragedy of life. And and I love I love it too. I love I love the emptiness and nihilistic feelings that a lot of these characters, not even nihilists, they're not nihilists, they're more roast, more than nihilism. Nihilism, and that's yeah. Cronenberg. We'll leave that to Cronenberg. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and if you think uh, about all those, like, classic monster movies, they really are, like, more tragedies, like, the, the types of stories they are versus, like, they're not really meant to scare you as much as they are tragic. Well, Absolutely. And I think that's what people miss yeah. about Stephen King's stories. I mean, sometimes he sabotages himself with a very upbeat ending, like almost Spielbergian. Uh, but, you know, he's he's about characterization. And a lot of people look up to him for that. His characters are always yeah. very interesting. But I think people I, – I, I didn't see It Chapter 2 yet, and neither is Jill. Uh, we talked about that earlier. Um, but I'm, I'm I did see the first movie. It. Well, it's not the first movie is supposed to be scary. I don't think that's really the point of the film. I think it's more about a tragedy of a town that's stuck in a loop and can't get out. You know, because the whole town is corrupted. It's not just it. Uh, everyone is awful. Every and, and, you know, it's like it becomes a symbiotic relationship. And it's really a sad story about the kids that are trapped in a, a world that they can't get out of. Um, I really, really think people missed the point that it wasn't supposed to be scary. It was supposed to be off-putting. Just like Midsummer, It's not supposed to be scary. It's supposed to be off-putting. So, uh, and, and the stylus is not scary. It is off-putting. But there's a decent amount yeah. of gore in it, too. Um, how is your... Uh, what's your gore count going to be like? <laughs> it will be higher in the future, for sure. Um, mm. Kind of like where, where my where like I meet in between two like loves like I love psychological character pieces that are like emotional and but then I also love like crazy gore so like while I love to watch stuff like Saw I would rather make a film like Seven even though but like Seven is still has super gory shit in it uh, uh, so you know I like kind of to be in the middle as far as like what I want to make but I love fucking you know just gore that's so gross that you like really like you almost make an audible you have like an audible reaction to it it's so gross <laughs> so, um, so which I lay lo- it out what's your favorite gore film I don't 
I, I honestly don't even know where I would be. I don't have favorite. I'm not like a favorites kind of person. I don't have like a favorite okay, of everything. Okay, so let me rephrase it because um, I don't have favorites either. I have lots of favorites. But if when I say that, what's the first film that pops into your head? Well, this is like kind of embarrassing. It's so mainstream, but I guess like the hostel films come to mind. Like, mm. like well. that Achilles tendon cut and the eyeball fucking hanging out of her eyes and cuts. Oh my God, those moments are so <laughs> gross. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. Now, th- there's nothing wrong with the gore in either one of the hostel movies. I mean, Eli Roth, I never diss on his, his uh, you know, isn't it Eli Roth? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. There's the. There's just that vibe in the horror scene. You either like him or you hate Eli Roth. I feel like the same thing that goes with Rob Zombie, and I'm fans of both, so I'm not too but cool see, but to I, say I, it. I must be the anomaly here because I am. I have movies of them I love, and then there's one or two movies I really don't like. Like, and they're both yeah. on the Masters of Horror list, by the way. Uh, like, for example, uh, Hostel. I really, really, really like Hostel, and I like almost everything Eli Roth has done. Uh, I, I get angry at e, uh, Hostel 2, though, because I think it's mean to its audience. And, uh, you know, I could go into why, but it's still a well-made film, and I'll still watch it. Now, um, Knock Knock. Uh, I, no. But anyway, <laughs> I, was, yeah. I was, you know, I'm not a fan of Knock Knock at all. I'll still I watch I could the out of Knock Knock because Ke- Keanu Reeves is hot as shit, and so are both of those shit. <laughs> well, yes. No, it's, it's not a good I movie, should. but it's a sexy movie. <laughs> I, I should it should be in my wheelhouse, man. Keanu is is been a I've been a fan of Keanu's forever, man. He's only ten years older than me, and so when you're in high school, he's like the hot young college dude, uh, you know. So I, I was totally down for Keanu back today. Um, so, uh, uh, so let's talk a little bit about Stephen King. You said you could talk about him. Do you have any favorite movies or books that you often refer to, or you refer to others? My favorites might be super mainstream, but um, like Misery. I like his stuff that's mm. more grounded in the real world because you know he goes very often into this like fantasy slash sci-fi thing out of nowhere a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, I'm not that. That world hasn't been my first love necessarily. I don't have anything necessarily against it, but it's not like something that really attracted me as a kid. Like I grew up not seeing all kinds of major sci-fi and fantasy movies. It's ridiculous. Um, but like Misery and really The Shining would be my favorites because they're both like psychological character pieces about like sociopaths, which is like 100% my thing. <laughs> Um, well, and a- Angel- Angela Bettis, play- who played May, also played Carrie at one point. That's true. Yeah. In the Canadian. But I-, I like the character pieces, too. Actually, you know which one I find underrated, and it might come up in the madness because of it? I actually think Dolores Claiborne is a really good movie. A lot of that's mm. the follow-up to Misery. I think Kate, Kathy... Bates was just on fire for like a few years there and I think it's a surprisingly good performance and a decent story but that's just me uh, yeah because misery is a, is a watermark for me uh, misery is is my is 91 the movie and I read the book on the way to my graduation party at Disneyland 
And uh, by the time I came back, I hooked up with Paul, and now we're married. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so that was that book is is very important to me as well. Um, what, uh, but you know, misery is mainstream. But no, uh, the, I, that's completely valid. Uh, now, is it the book and the movie, or just, or do you prefer one over the other? I've got to admit, I haven't read any Stephen King. I can't believe I had to say that publicly. Whoa. <laughs> like, I had it growing up, never, maybe I read, like, 100, you know, 20, I don't know how many pages that thing is bigger than the Bible. Uh, I don't know. But also, I feel like I need to talk about it. I disagree with you that it's not supposed to be scary. Like, the scenes with it, are, I think, are some of the scariest scenes in horror movies. Um but the whole movie isn't scary. It's really like a drama, like coming of age story that has like horrific scenes mixed into it to me. Um, well, and I think and that like that scene. I think that's what I meant by that. Cause yeah, yeah. there's like the a lot of people are really freaked out by that slideshow sequence. But then like that scene, the scene in the sewer to me is like one of the most iconic horror scenes like of all time. I like. To me, like, I just think about that moment, and I'm, like, it, like, chill. Like, as a kid, there was nothing, like, I don't know if you guys walked around your neighborhood and, like, you know, kind of, like, maybe kind of explored those sewers. Like, if you were into scary shit, like, I was from the beginning. Like, I would want to go, like, near the sewers because they were scary. Yeah. And so then when I when I found out there was a movie with a clown in it, I was like, that's the scariest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and, so, and I think they made it somehow made even this re when they remade that scene, it's even scarier. Like every time I've watched that scene, it's like like every hair is up on my arms. Like it's so well done. Yeah. Like That's just cool. just in the way that man speaks is so fucking scary. I just don't. I, it's like masterful, like horror in that moment to me. It do have for you, Cheryl, since the air. Uh, Benji's Drive-In, my local drive-in, just announced they're showing it and it too this weekend. It was a double feature, so guess where I'm gonna go? Nice. Do that. Yeah. But that might yeah. be like six, like like the old miniseries. It might be six hours long. That's Isn't the a, new one three hours? Yeah. I think it is. Oh, That's okay. I usually see the the drive-in usually shows three movies anyway, so they're only showing two. So I'll be out of there right. by two o'clock in the morning. That's nothing <laughs> for the drive-in. Sleep is optional. We're horror geeks. Still, you don't sleep at horror conventions. I've seen you up at all hours exactly. of the night. <laughs> well, they give you this so. like they give you this unnatural amount of adrenaline that doesn't make any sense. Because when I'm at home, I'm like in bed like <laughs> grandma hours and wake up early. I love sleeping. I become a com- completely different person at conventions somehow. Uh, say, same here. My husband like knows that if he turns on Ghost Adventures, I'll instantly shut down. And so he does that around nine thirty, ten o'clock, and next thing I know, I'm on the slate because I just got to block that shit out. <laughs> so, I, I tried to break him of this habit. He is obsessed, dude. You got to help me with this. It's the problem. Uh, so, uh, so Jill, before you go here, um, and I want you to talk about your movie again and tell them to go to your Kickstarter and all the cool perky stuff that you can get. You don't have to go through the whole list, but you can tell them uh, a little bit about what's available and how they can help you, and they should definitely help you. They definitely should. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But, yeah, 
we can, you know, you can pledge as low or high as you want. And really, every I like to stress that everything helps us. Like, there's no amount too small. Um, and yeah, there's cool stuff you get in return. Like, actually, to connect to Maniac, we have a, a poster only available through the Kickstarter that is an homage to Maniac. So it's the stylist in the Ooh. same position, you know, like holding the scalp it's and holding really sc- cool. scissors in our other hand. Right on. Um, Nice. And that's like our our hundred dollar pledge, which means you also get like the stuff before or prior, which is like a download of the movie. You get to see the premiere, like online premiere. Follow us online on this like private social media as we're making the film. Um, but you know, then like you can get your name in the credits. There's like a signed script and a a movie watch list of stuff I was inspired by and like deep explanations of like how I was or how they're connected to the movie. You know, then there's like the higher ones where you can get producer credits and like really cool props, like literally have one of the scalps that we take off, you know, like tear off and actually on film. (laughs) One of them actually you, you will do someone's hair for that. Yes. What? Get your hair cut like at the salon where we'll be shooting the movie. So nice. Holy crap. Don't cool. be too scared. I won't. I will not drug you and scalp you. You're you're, you're not gonna put a, a, a scissors through my ear, right? That would just not be pleasant at all. I will not. So, and okay, for anyone who hasn't seen it, you can like the short film version. We have the short film right there at the top of the campaign page, so you can watch it and decide like if you like it, and then give us some money. Um, yep. But we, we I, I posted it to them earlier. Go ahead. Right on. Thank you. I was going to say, we have the same team, mostly from the short film, and we're still going after, like, everyone because we were, we're so, like, proud of what we made and want to give everyone the opportunity that worked hard on that to, you know, work on the full-length version. And so, yeah, it will be very similar, but shot in a different salon. And, of course, it's not just in a salon for an hour and a half. <laughs> well i i really really hope that it works out and i'm excited for you because i know no matter what happens you're going to get this film made because you got the tenacity to do it and and i'm so excited to see what comes next from you and um is there are there any appearances or places that they can see one last meal or and don't forget to tell them where to buy your stuff because that's important too. So you have stuff yeah, to buy. Um, I have my website sixtape.com with two X's. There you can we have like a little store and then also links to watch all my previous short films are on there. Um, oh wow! But uh, well, I forgot what else I was saying right here. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've been doing it things all to the buy. Night. Sell me things. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Sell us shit. Yeah. My we brain. Want to be sold stuff. The stylist, look that up on Kickstarter, most importantly. Yes, it comes up, if you put Kickstarter Jill 6 stylist, it comes up rise number one on the Google I checked. So, uh, you know, definitely, uh, if you have even just $5, it's all going to go to good use, I guarantee it, and a wonderful product and a film that will rock it. Uh, Good pedigree, and 
Jill, I'm so excited. Thank you for coming on the show. And please, please come on more often. Uh, when you have some updates on the filming, you're more than welcome to plug then and come on and just talk about anything you want, for that matter. We really don't care. You really need to come on and just <laughs> talk about how upset you were at a museum the other day that you're looking at a painting and you got pissed off. I would be fine with that. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? If you want to talk about your lunch, you can come on and talk about your lunch. I really don't care. I just <laughs> want to talk to you and, and make sure that you're happy and everything is moving forward. So we're, we're just big fans. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. I'd love to come back. Excellent. Yay. And um, Do you like true crime? Yeah. I do. Ah, because... I'm not talking the next hour. I get a half hour or so, 45 minutes. I get to take a break. But um, the Steve-O and Raven, they're about to talk true crime. And I believe Erin Marie is on the line, too. You can even stay on and talk true crime if you want. Or you can listen in. It's up to you. But I thought I'd let you know. So do you have a favorite show you watch? Um, I mean, it's not true crime, but it's a, a narrative about true crime. Uh, Mindhunter is my favorite thing right now. Everyone's yeah. loving Mindhunter. They're definitely going to talk about right. that in the next hour. Finally. Uh, so, excellent. So thank you, Jill, again for coming on the show. Um, and thank you. Please come back when you, um, you when you want. And I can't hang you up, so whenever you hang up, go for it, and I'll <laughs> say goodbye one more time. But um, it, right. we really, really do yeah, appreciate it. Off too. So much All love right, and madness. So talk to you soon. See if I can drop her. Thank I don't so know much. which. Oh, it doesn't work. Okay, there we go. Oh, she's gone. And that was Jill Six. And um, Yay, Jill. she's Very awesome. Cool. And I was doting way too much fangirl there, but that's okay. I've been having it was a super rough cute. night. Yeah, so it's all good. Let's bring on my sexy porn with Erin Marie, which is where she is where she likes to be the most, but for all the wrong reasons, she is flat on her back tonight. But welcome, you're on with the Sexy Witches. How you doing? Oh, that was actually quite a perfect introduction considering my moniker. <laughs> well, um, so, uh, we, Aaron, are you going to stay on for the next uh, segment? Or uh, um, Aaron Kogan, I mean, not Aaron Marie. Um, or are you going to bug off? I'm going to buzz off, but have, have a good show rest of it, and I'm going to listen with Natalie. Hey. All right, so when... Next week, I mean, next episode, Aaron, because we're all going to be here because it's a big madness episode. We yeah. will definitely get back to talking about the dark rides and haunted man, haunted horror nights because um, it plays directly into the dark ride walkthrough bonus. And this year, I'm, I, I think it might have become a permanent part of the madness is the dark ride walkthrough bonus because I've never taken, I haven't taken it off for four years straight. So it's yeah, like the Olympics. Every if it's year. been in. If it's been in for three years, it becomes permanent, right? It's not how the Olympics I think work. that should be the rule. I, I count yeah. on it. I, I really do. I, I need it. <laughs> yeah, it makes up a lot of points for you when you don't get to watch movies. So, um, you know, I, I, and this year it's interesting because I'm also allowing multiple cuts to be watched for the madness. Oh. I don't do that every year, but this year because of the theme, because some Stephen King and Clive Barker movies have been chopped to shit. Um, and there's multiple cuts of those films, so I'm allowing it. So that means you can watch Midsummer Theatrical and Midsummer Director and get points. So just saying so you know. 
I'm I hinting at that. Yeah. So, you know, you want to do that. So yep. <laughs> anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, I did. I did, by the way. I actually did. Um, there, before I let you guys start True Crime, I just wanted to let you know, I did go see the director's cut of Midsummer uh, oh, last weekend nice. or we, on Labor Day weekend. It Which was phenomenally prefer? good. I think they're both valid. I think I would have cut the one nighttime scene that happens in the director's cut because I think it takes away from the whole sacrifice and daylight vibe that the movie has. But other than that, I would watch any version of this film in any way, shape, or form. It by far is my favorite film of the year. I've paid for it twice. That means it's automatically in my top five. So... um, Absolutely phenomenal movie. I saw it with Aaron Marie theatrically, and then I took uh, John and Kim and my husband to see it, and their friend Marcy, Marcia, Marcy, Marcia, um, Marcia, sorry, Marcia, Marcia, yes, yeah. I took them all all to see it when I was looking for cars up in uh, New Jersey. Uh, So uh, it it, it was, it, uh, yeah. Definitely, definitely. If you can watch the director's cut, do it. So, but going from fictional Swedish towns to movies about serial killers, I'm gonna say adios to the cuz, and we'll see you on the 24th, my good sir. See you on the 24th, y'all. Have a good one. Alrighty. Bye. Bye. Woo. So Aaron's gone. One Aaron goes, but we get another Aaron. Aaron Marie. Aaron Marie. And. Steve is on, and Raven, you guys are going to talk about true crime. But true crime adjacent is like Mindhunter for sure. Uh, True Detective. Uh, Let's see, what else we got going on with that kind of stuff? Um, I was telling you that I knew what Unsolved Mysteries, right? Uh, Dateline. What else? 2020. There's a ton of stuff. Homicide Hunter with... Topsy on HBO. Detective Joe Kenda. <laughs> so, Autopsy what is that, Aaron? What got into true crime? Yeah, so let's, I'm going to bow out. R- Raven, you have the wand, and I will be back okay. in a little bit. Enjoy. <laughs> Bye. All right, party time. <laughs> Get Ooh. the booze out. Right. Where does she hide the booze? Well, what I was thinking is because the Emmys are on September 22nd on Fox, and there are two shows uh, that have actors in them nominated that are crime shows based on true crime stories. Um, That's a good place to start, I think. Uh, Probably most well-known true crime but not a documentary out right now besides Mindhunter um, is probably True Detective. Mm-hmm. Um, season three. Now, I, I watched season one when I lived in Greece and I got, like, I downloaded a VPN so that I could watch my Netflix account because, or, or my HBO account rather, because I was so obsessed with season one. Season two uh, is Steve's best friend, but um, (laughs) I didn't like season two. Now, this one, it's not nominated for anything, but uh, Mahershala Ali is nominated for Best Actor in a Limited Series, I believe. Um, 
did any of you twos see season three yet? Oh, yeah. I watched it as it was uh, coming on each week. Yeah, start of the year. Did you see it, Aaron? True Detectives is one of those shows that I've always meant to watch and haven't. I think well, I watched the first episode of the first season and somehow lost it. Okay. Yeah, it's. I guess it, you could call it a slow burn, but it's a slow burn with stuff happening. You don't have to wait until the end for something to happen, like with a lot of crime dramas. Yeah. Uh, what was really interesting to me about season three is that they fictionalized the West Memphis Three murders. Mm-hmm. Um, and where that really? starts to get... Yes. <laughs> where it starts to get kind of morally ambiguous is then you start having actors that are nominated for people where the murder isn't solved yet and there's still victims that are alive um, so I thought it was kind of interesting that with True Detective with the West Memphis 3 and then with um, The Act which has Patricia Arquette and Joey King both nominated that you know, Gypsy Lee Blanchard is still in prison. She's still alive, and to some, still a victim. So uh, I thought we could go over some of what's uh, our experience watching the documentaries that are based on the actual crime, or what we know about the actual crime, versus what Hollywood is telling us about the crime. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good comparison. And I did actually get in the documentary today, um, Mommy Dead and Dearest. Yes, and that's what the act is based on. So, uh, Mommy, Dead, and Dearest is an HBO documentary. And, Aaron, how was your experience watching that? Did you know anything about the case before? I did know a little about the case before. I knew the mom suffered from Munchausen by proxy. Um, And that's something I've always been fascinated with ever since Autopsy way back in the 1990s on Mm -hmm. HBO. Yeah, yes. I used to watch those too, yes. (laughs) Exactly. Like I said, that was the first thing that got me into true crime was the Autopsy episodes, and I thought they were just simply fucking fascinating. Especially my proxy mom that lost, like, what was it, like six fucking kids before anybody Mm -hmm. found out that she was murdering them, and all of them were declared sick. So, you know, the the Gypsy Rose Blanchard documentary definitely hit on an interest point for me. But I found it incredible how manipulative and crazy the mother was before she even had Gypsy. Yes. How, how she had starved oh. her mother to death, basically. Mm-hmm. And, like, even after she died, um even the father and and her aunt were saying, you know, you might as well flush your ashes down the toilet. Nobody fucking wants them. She was just a horrible person. And we knew Gypsy would snap someday. Right. And so what's interesting, uh, uh, something that's really interesting to me is I agree with you that um, Dee Dee Blanchard was a very unlikable woman. (laughs) And I think that you could see how she could manipulate someone, um, especially a child, with the kind of personality that she had and is documented. One thing that I didn't appreciate about the act is that Patricia Arquette is so likable. Even though she's playing a, an unlikable character, 
Patricia Arquette is so good at it, you start to like her. And um, <laughs> it kind of makes it, on one hand, it makes you understand more maybe how someone could be manipulated by her. But on the other hand, I think it was so much worse. It was probably such a hell to live under this woman. Um, and if you don't know this story, I would start with the documentary first because uh, yeah. It, yeah, there I mean, are moments when my jaw dropped well, and I was yeah. gasping at new developments. Especially how she started this when Gypsy was three months old. That child never had a fucking chance. No. Well, that's that's my one thought about just the Blanchard, uh, what I have have always felt is a tragedy just all the way around, and uh, I have, have complicated feelings about. And uh, also just from uh, a, a legal standpoint, I just think it's a, a fascinating case uh, and presents all kinds of weird questions. But uh, I think the documentary for true crime uh, fans is essential in this case. I don't think that the, the act is essential. Um, I thought that I agree with that. was awesome in Escape at Dannemora last year. And then yeah. she like immediately did this right after like another transformative role, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I thought she, she, she did this. It, it was, I don't know, like you said, likable. And to me, I get what you're saying, but like uh, it came off kind of like um, almost uh, old Hollywood campy in a way, like over the top, like oh, um, you know, kind like of a mother the, dearest, yeah, mommy dearest, kind of mommy dearest, yeah. Way. Dearest, yeah. Go with that title, but it did have this kind of, and I just did not dig her performance, and um, it it uh, it took me whatever it was, whether it was likability or stilted. Um, whatever like that was just my thought on it it was uh uh i don't know it took me right out of the story so i'm surprised that she's nominated um actually because i i loved her in danamora but and and i love that i mean that story's fascinating and the documentary is great but Mm -hmm. the act just didn't do it for me yeah i think that yeah what you're touching on kind of um Simmers down to the essence of what I was trying to say, but yeah, I I totally agree with you, and I know what you're. It, it did kind of seem like she was still coasting on her last role, um, and maybe there was some of that still in this character too. Um, so I don't know. Once you can already tell an actor can act that way, maybe it's not impressive the next time they do it, uh, or or if this had come out later maybe I would be more impressed, but um, mm-hmm. it, it does make me feel squitchy that here Gypsy sits in prison and Joey King could be holding an Emmy for pretending to be her. I heard that she did not, she was not happy with the act. I, I did hear that. I'm, I don't know if that's correct or not, but I do remember seeing some articles at the time that she would was not happy that it was happening. Right. So. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And then, so even more vocal about the West Memphis three murders are the families of those victims. Yeah. And I don't know if in True Detective Season 3, if they had to change the details of this case for the show, or if they took it upon themselves to do that in order to avoid dealing with any of this family stuff. 
Um, but it seemed a little, I went back and forth between it seeming underhanded and a lazy way to um, get a crime into their season. But then also, yay, more people will hear about this case, maybe yeah. research it, and that could lead to it finally closing. So um, I have mixed emotions on season three, but Mahershala Ali, I think, did a wonderful job. I'm really glad he's nominated. Well, usually any type of um, attention brought to a case, even if it is fictionalized, is, is good for the the people because it brings new light into it, new interest, and usually new pressure to close it. Well, I think right. the sad thing about I think the sad thing about that case in particular is that where they had to take Alfred pleas to get out of prison, that, uh-huh. that therefore the state didn't have to. Um, lose any conviction so they I I don't know if if there's some kind of I'd love to see some kind of podcast or somebody private investigator do something but as far as I know the state still considers Damien Eccles uh, Jesse Pinkman oh gosh to be the murderers because they just took that out for police and so they don't have to open an investigation and and uh I, it doesn't this wasn't there a lot of people that uh, thought it was one of the kids' stepfathers? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what the third so documentary it, basically kind of uh, touched yeah. on a lot. Yeah. So there's a series of documentaries about this case uh, called the Paradise Lost series. The first one came out, I believe, in 1996. Does that sound right? That's right. Uh, and uh, this is set in a small town in West Memphis, right Alabama, Tennessee, Tennessee. Right. Okay. And the Robin Hood Hills. And we have three social outcasts who did not necessarily interact with each other all suddenly on trial for murder of three little boys. I said Jesse Um, by the way, and that's not right, obviously. Oh, the others. <laughs> yeah. I, <know> you meant. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized that. I'm sorry. You were, I was listening to you. It just popped in my head, and I just wanted to clarify that. It was not. <laughs> it was Damien Eccles yeah. and two other guys. Damien anyway, Eccles. Yeah. yeah. Damien Jesse Miskley. That's Jason right. Baldwin. Not Jesse. Yeah. Pink. yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the and the third Paradise Lost didn't come out until about 2000. So it really was these documentarians coming back um, just after a gross amount of time. But the legal system, the wheels of justice are slow. So well, these people have aged so much. It was the documentaries that put pressure on them to actually investigate things, and yes, then people started contributing to you know court costs and lawyer fees to investigate, and that's really what helped them get released in the first place. That, my God, what did they spend, 13 years in prison, I think? Yeah. I mean, you, and, uh, you, you, you could not be my – my experience with it back then was just being in a band in college um, uh, when I was a freshman. You could not play at an all-ages venue without – once every few months, uh, free the West Memphis Three benefit show uh, being right. part of what you did. It was just something that was everywhere. They just galvanized, uh, I think, local scenes from coast to coast. 
in college campuses. Yeah, there was a lot of that. Um, I used to be on a, an IRC chat for three the West Memphis three. So there's been it, it's been around for a long time, and there's been so many ways to learn about this story and talk about this story. Damian Eccles also wrote some books while he was in prison. Um, And he still has a Patreon and he's making art in New York. Um, And he has a pretty interesting Facebook too, if you're into the social media. That's right. And the me most about the entire case was these boys were the exact same age as I was when all this went down. I mean, I remember the climate of that time where everything was blamed on Satan worship and it was such like a big scare and if you listened to fucking metal music it was yeah. you know you were worshipping Satan somehow right yeah, I'm a Columbus, yeah, I, uh, so I remember like the exact same thing like happened like it was awful you know yeah and that right. was the entire reason these poor boys got blamed, just because they listened to metal music and, you know, wrote a few pentagrams and graffiti. I know. Yeah. It, uh, that case still boils my blood. <laughs> it's like... What oh, do you think that can happen here? You, know? you think we're... It is, it is we're such a medieval that. story. Yeah, it's just yeah. like the Salem witch trials. I mean, it's it's we've not really moved much further, and it's like that happened when I was a kid. I mean, that didn't it didn't end till I was a young adult. Like, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, Damien Eccles, <clears throat> he's older than me, but you know, not maybe what ten, fifteen years older than me. I don't know, but uh, not that much older than me. So, like, you know, it's. Uh, it, and this stuff still happens to this day. I mean, you know, uh, um, if, if you're just a little bit different, people are going to look at you suspiciously, and if shit goes down, they're going to blame you for it. That's yeah. right. It's always the other. It's always easier to, to, especially in small, like crumbling towns, whatever the other is. Right, and and this case, this documentary, the first Paradise Lost is probably my portal into true crime because I wanted Damien Eccles could have gone to my high school. I could have been the girl Damien Eccles. I I listened to Marilyn Manson and I had my hair dyed weird and I wore, you know, costume jewelry to PE or whatever. When, you know, if you need a scapegoat, it's easy to be one when your town is just full of really boring people with no imagination. (laughs) And so trying to help the West Memphis Three, I started to write letters to Damian Eccles and um, Jesse Meskely. Yes, I didn't get a response from Damian, but I still wrote him multiple times. Um, Jesse wrote me back in 97, um, just basically saying thanks for the support. And I had asked him if he wanted to be my pen pal, but he said he wasn't currently accepting new pen pals. (laughs) (laughs) But I imagine they had quite a few. Yeah, and the, well, the thing is that as I started doing my own teenaged research on this, this is how I got into stuff like, how did they catch Ted Bundy? How did they catch, how did they catch these people? How do we catch who's the bad guy? The good well, guys are in jail. Let's find the bad guy. My my thing was always um, like like 
how, what is the bad guy and who is the bad guy and why uh how can I think like the bad guy and uh uh am I the bad guy uh the jinx really came out a few years ago about yes. Robert Hurst. if you haven't seen that check it out so um yeah that's all I'll say about it real quick I did want to just throw that in there because you mentioned like a gateway thing and I'd all I've always loved true crime as uh, anything um just they're in the even in the noir and pulp genres uh to uh, uh you know anything like that a good crime thriller is a good crime thriller but um uh yeah I remember watching that documentary uh all at once uh just I just remember it snowing and what I just have very vivid memories of just being completely enthralled by all that and uh it, you know it's still it's still going on because the, that that they just had a hearing. The trial keeps getting pushed back, and it's just. And I, I find my, I just find myself. Uh, I, I don't empathize with the, these killers, but I just find myself. It's not about trying to understand. It's just. Uh, it's hard to explain uh, why. It's like staring into this abyss almost. You know. It's kind of. Yeah. It, it gets a little spooky sometimes with stuff like uh, the jinx. It gets. It gets a little. It gets a little weird for me. It gets a little heavy. Like I um almost feel like I should like pull down the shades and like not let anybody know I'm like, you know, watching it. You know, it's like I'm banging heroin or <laughs> I something. I just blast mine up. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like I'm like banging heroin or something. I used yeah. to well, um. After I got really into autopsy on HBO, I started reading the uh, Patricia Cornwell novels, which are, you know, she used to be a a forensic pathologist in Richmond, Virginia here. And just the, you know, the entomology of, like, how everything goes down, how you catch a killer, you know, just how you find the evidence and analyze it in order to be able to catch them. I, for quite a while, I wanted to be a forensic pathologist. Oh, it'd be the best job, right? I mean, and just like shows like Dexter, like I was always just into that for, you know, the first like four years or so of Dexter, I was just the biggest fan or, it just seems like I was always like, that'd be the best job. And anything like that would be the best job. Yeah. Yeah, they'd be doing, I always felt like watching detective shows. It's like I'd be doing something. I'd be helping people. Right, yeah. And, well, one of the – before we even get to the forensic science side of things, one of the earliest ways people had to catch killers was just through interviewing killers they had already caught. And that's one of the themes that happens in Mindhunter. Um, now, I've watched – the first, I'm actually on the second season of Mindhunter. I'm almost done. Uh, but I know you guys have both dove Absolutely. in to season three yeah. of the Mindhunter. You want to catch everybody up with how it's going? Oh, I don't want to spoil it for you, but I, 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 you go ahead. You go ahead. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think it. the first thing that should be mentioned is that Mindhunter is based off of the book that the two FBI agents that created the behavioral science and, and um, the process of um, profiling serial killers in the FBI, this is how they did it. And mm-hmm. all of the interviews that they did with serial killers in order to learn their patterns and the way they think 
are verbatim in the show what the interviews were. Mind Hunter. I is didn't realize that. Yes, and that's one of the reasons why I fucking love it because everything about Mind Hunter is as close to reality when it comes to the cases as it can possibly get. Awesome. Any other any other dramatized, I mean, it's almost like having a dramatized Unsolved Mysteries or something like that because they stick right. to the case so close. And um, the third season was about the Atlanta child murders. This man killed over 28 children in Atlanta and the surrounding counties. Oh, man. Uh, 28 black children. And one of the biggest problems they had, um, you know, because they had been working on the profiling for quite a few years, they knew that people very rarely killed outside their race. But at that time, the South was still extremely, I mean, civil rights was brand new. I mean, they've, they've, they've what, integrated maybe 10 years, 15 years earlier? So... Wow. Um, it was mind-boggling, number one, how far they let the serial killer get before they let the FBI step in. And then right. even, even then, just the city's denial and all of the victims' denial that it could possibly be a black man, that they really wanted to pin it on the Ku Klux Klan because that too usually kills black people in the South. They just couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that it could possibly be one of their own. So they've met a lot of... Um, resistance yeah. during that time. But I love the fact that Mindhunter also follows BTK from the very beginning. From the very first episode, they're showing you flashes of the BTK killer. And this season, that, they finally... BTK, the BTK scares me. <laughs> For the two people who are true crime fans who don't know what BTK is, would you like to share? Find, torture, kill. kill. Uh-huh. Yeah, he oh man. He was named after of, what he did and he scared the his stories scare the hell out of me. All the situations yeah. and crimes committed are gross. Well not only that, but it was one of those things where he didn't really choose one thing. He killed families, he killed men, he killed women mostly women, he killed children. Yeah. He just had to. And then he stopped, though, for a long time. And then he, he, uh, he like, wait, what, did he kill again and turn himself in, or did he just confess? Because there was, I like, a long remember. gap. There was a long gap in his murders, and they had thought that they'd, like, yeah. lost him, like, Zodiac, and it was, it was years. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, his last one was something, like, in the late 70s, like 77, yeah. 79, something like that. And, right. yeah, you can uh, – his confession uh, is bizarre, and um, he reads it in court, and you can find it on YouTube uh, very easily. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, very disturbing, uh, yet, yet fascinating case. Well, yeah, I, I think – Extraordinarily fascinated by serial killers because just the, the mindset, the psychology of it, it's just really hard for me to wrap my mind around, so I just find it eternally fascinating. Right. And so with uh, BTK, 
one of the reasons it was hard to do forensics besides DNA evidence that wasn't useful yet um, was that they had um, different victims going on. A lot of times people will try to make a profile out of the killer based on who their victims are and as if that's going to help them solve the crime faster. But if you look at someone like, hey, look at this segue, Ted Bundy, he had some of the same kind of victims, and guess what? It didn't help him get caught any faster, <laughs> really, you know? Right. Um, now, so we've got all of his confessions and some of his interviews from when uh, there were forensic analysts interviewing him. And those are available, um, I think, just straight on YouTube, but also as part of the docu-series, the confession uh, tape. The Ted Bundy Files. Uh, on the Netflix. Ted Bundy Files. Thank you. Um, colon, the confession tapes, right? Or is that something right. else? Okay, right. I'm in. I'm happy. <laughs> so shortly after that docu-series came out, we got the very easy to say title extremely wicked shockingly evil and vile <laughs> also regarding ted bundy evil part i forget i know it's a rough one so but that's exactly what the judge told him in court <laughs> that, that yes it I, is and and having watched the confession tapes and then watching the zach efron version i was surprised at how much verbatim there also was from uh, from one medium to the other, really. Uh, especially the judge is played by John Malkovich, and he's, I mean, he's a better judge. Like, I want him to judge my case. He does a uh-huh. great job. It's just a small part, but he really shines. Um, and uh, I think the conundrum with the fictionalized account is, again, you still have a lot of potential, um, I'm sorry, attempted victims that are still alive uh, and there's still people who are very affected by this case on a personal level. Well, so none of the murders they managed to father a kid. Right. Exactly, so right. Out there too. And so, but one thing that uh, it kind of makes the fictionalized version have softer edges because it doesn't deal with how gruesome what he did was to me. Well, I, I don't want to see the, it, but I, <laughs> I, I actually but it really wasn't there. That was my one point of contention with the, with the, uh, with the movie extremely wicked. Um, I think Zac Efron did a phenomenal job. I knew he would I because he is an incredible actor and Ted Bundy was a pretty boy. And it was, and once you gave him the eyebrows and the hair, it was really fucking close. <laughs> right. Yeah. It really was. He did a great job. But I, I guess I have to appreciate the fact that they were doing it the, from the perspective of the girlfriend who was unaware of everything that was going on. So it was like, yeah. we were discovering it with her. Yeah. Uh, I, something fell flat for me, and I don't know if it was the writing framed around the actual dialogue. I had some disparity, so it felt clunky. Um, or if there just wasn't enough. If, I don't need to see the information to receive the information once we're in the courtroom. Um, but then again, I know they weren't making a courtroom drama. Just uh, 
it was more of a character study. Exactly. Um, I think that's the only thing that disappointed me about it, but that's because I like the blood and guts. Right. <laughs> yeah, you can do yeah, both. Yeah. It could have been a little bit more both, I thought. I, I, I thought they kind of um, – I think everybody's feeling about that movie um, – uh, or at least not everybody's. I can't speak for everybody. My feeling was, you know, yet the, the production design and the costumes were all in place, but I felt like Joe Berlinger pulled a sleight of hand by uh, mm-hmm. telling it from, uh, I guess, Liz, Liz's perspective, I guess. And, right. yeah. um, and, you know, I, because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, people can say what they want and, and he can, you know, but I am watching a movie about Ted Bundy. Um, like it's not going, I'm not going to then be offended. You're not going to offend anyone that you weren't already going to offend and that you didn't offend yeah. anyway by putting in some actual macabre shit, like making it yeah. more of a horror show. Yeah. And I feel like That's the build up to that film yeah, I just felt like the build-up to that film, uh, and they did the same thing with my friend Dahmer, and like it just, you know, uh, they just didn't know how to market these movies, and so they sold them as something that they weren't. Sounds yeah. like a lifetime film to me. Yeah, they're always they're always like they're female friendly. He raped you in the butt. Oh, you know, stuff like that. I want to anyway. see more American Psycho. Yeah, right. Yeah, and you don't even have to go through the murders to start them. (laughs) I was trying to figure out, um, like, true crime stuff related while I was on my break here, and I came up with two titles. One is related to what you're talking about now, is Zodiac uh, by Robert Graysmith. I read that book. Because if you grew up, I grew up in the time of Zodiac, so it was a real thing right. for me. <laughs> I was in the, I was a little kid. Um, you know, yeah. Zodiac Killer was, and not, and some of those places in the movie are real locations that I used to go to on a regular basis. So I have a deep-seated yes. connection to Zodiac. Um, the other one is Henry Hill's book. It's not his book. Nicholas Pileggi, the producer, wrote it, but it's about Henry Hill's life, which is Wise Guy, which becomes Goodfellas. Oh, nice. And that book is, those are the only two. And then In I've Cold been Blood wanting to read that. Yeah. would be the other one, right? In Cold Blood. That's the, what's his name? Oh, yeah. Oh! Uh, what's Capote. His, Capote! Yeah. My God! I'm blanking on Capote's name. Yeah, thank you, Aaron. So anyway, I so I did I have I'm not completely naive of the true crime genre. There's some books in there that I read once upon a time. So go ahead. I read nothing uh, wrong with books. Uh, speaking of true crime books, the the only true crime book I can think of that I've read was um, the Wonderland Murders. It was from the account of John Holmes's girlfriend. Yes, and nice. that was fascinating as shit. You haven't read a, The Stranger Besides Me, Beside Me, not Besides Me, by Anne Rule? I don't think I have. Oh, you better read it. It's about her time working at the crisis line with Ted Bundy. Oh, my God, yeah. And trying to solve his murder, yeah. 
Oh yeah, I'm gonna get read it. That. Put it at the top of your Goodreads list. Uh, yeah, your name's all over it. When I watched the Ted Bundy files, when I finally got to when he was caught and he was going through the trial, some of those mm-hmm. um, like news reels uh, that he did, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Press, you know what I'm talking about, right? Press junket. Yeah, when he was talking to the press like with the press and everything, and they were charging him. I literally cried. It reminded me so much of my ex-husband, like sociopathic oh, before, and he frightened me through the TV knowing he was dead. Wow. So Ted Bundy has always Whoa. fascinated the shit out of me. Yeah. Especially since he managed well, he to escape from boy. prison twice. Yeah, I know. I know. So it baffles the mind. <laughs> because it's when you insane. listen to him speak... You can hear how uh, he makes himself sound like he's smart to people who are not smart. But when it comes down to it, so much of it is facade and ego. So I am just baffled that he could escape not only once but twice because he really was dumb as a box of rocks. (laughs) You heard it here. Yeah. The idea that he was a genius is bullshit. He was an idiot. of murder and escape. All I'm saying is smart people don't join the Mormon church. I'm done. Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> I'm is that smart people don't use their actual fucking name when trying to kidnap women. Right? right? Sure. That was the it's reason like, he got trapped in the first place was saying like that the people with the fake party. cats are saying, hey, I'm Ted, I need help putting shit like right. my boat or whatever. It's just, how hey, stupid are you? help me find my dog. I'm Ted, and my dog's yeah. name's Ted Bundy. Like, how dumb are you? <laughs> You're so right. And yet, <laughs> despite it all, these murders still happen and these escapes still happen. Uh, none of them should have happened, really. Well... No. Um, no, well, that we won't talk about the correctional facility and how fucked up prison is in the United States of right. America. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Right. My God. Right now. Um, so, right like now. Jail. So it's not like it was high in security. Yeah, yeah it's true. Like, true. You know, um, so uh, I'm trying to think. I actually had one fine. Oh, yeah. Uh, Let's. Pl- I wanted to get the final word on this and bring out one more book and movie series I think is worth talking about, sure. and um, and I do think it's a good way to kind of because it wraps right into horror. Um, one of the best books in the last few years, uh, fifteen twenty years, is Jack Ketchum's Girls, The Girl Next Door. Um, yes. A fantastic yes. book, but the movie. But there's also a movie which is actually really really good. A lot of people really dismiss it. I think it's fantastic. But there was also, Catherine Keener had a, a made-for-TV film with uh, Ellen Page called American Crime Story, which was also pretty good. Yeah. So, this, this, so I, I would really I think that, that you, one. Any, you watched that one. And it won some Emmys last year. Um, it was, I don't know, I guess about seven or eight years ago. Yeah, it's been a while. Oh, it came out almost. Yeah, no, no, this is an older film, Raven. It almost came out back to back with *The Girl Next Door*. I think it came out the same year. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, that's how I remember it. 
American Crime Story was about, or American Crime was about um, this girl, Ellen Page, whose parents were like traveling people, so they paid this woman to keep her, and she abused the shit out of her. I mean, she was locked in a basement. She was, people, like the neighborhood kids would come down and laugh at her and help with the abuse and shit. It was pretty gruesome. Uh, and it, and then of course Jack Ketchum's is is gruesome as well. I mean that movie is intense, but You're I actually think it's some of the Angela Bettis about the the feral woman in the woods, right? No, that's the woman. That's a very no. different film. No, no, the Girl that's Next Friday. Door. That's Jack Ketchum too. Yeah, that is. But no, A Girl Next Door. Hold on, I'll give you what year it was. Give me a second. I love this movie. It's got the best child performances. 2004 is when a girl next, the girl next door came in. Um, it, and uh, it is that no, that's the comedy. Wrong one. Yeah, I was gonna say it's not. We that don't old. want the comedy. We want the Jack Ketchum movie. <laughs> Let's try yeah. Ketchum. <laughs> Googled the wrong ones, ladies and gentlemen. Much closer to the truth. You're right. 2007. That makes that sounds exactly right. Okay, and um, I I love this movie and both movies. I actually think both movies are equally as good about extremely hardcore subject matter. And it was based on something that really happened. It's based on a memoir um, that the one boy wrote. Wrote had a diary at the time, and Jack Ketchum based it on that diary. So this has actually happened to some poor girl for real, which kind of I don't know about you, Anna Marie. Does it blow your mind, like, some of the things that they show them doing, even in the TV movie, to this girl? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible that this shit actually goes on. I mean, it's fucking evil in the world. It's absolutely, like... Hardcore, but I would say that those are the are, are are some of my favorite true crime. If you wanted to bring up some true crime, and I think you can't go wrong with Jack Ketchum. He's a quintessential horror writer, um, and so you know I would say definitely that would be. Uh, but Raven, why don't you have the very final final word since this was your talk? And thank you guys for uh, filling a wonderful void in my fandom because I don't have a lot of this. I have a little bit of this, but uh, you helped me remember that I actually have done some of this. So <laughs> go ahead. Sure. Well, thanks for the chat for Crime Time. I'm calling it that. Uh, crime time. <laughs> we'll have to do another crime time talk next season. Yeah. Uh, so for any of you ID network addicts who might have heard that Homicide Hunter is ending, this is true and very sad because Lieutenant Joe Kenda has said the remaining cases left to recount are ones either involving children, babies, or are just not safe for television. However, it has just been announced that he is going to continue on another ID series, so we will not be out of Lieutenant Joe Kenda. Well, well, well. I'm very happy about that. He is my hero. Excellent. And it has to be better than Bait Car, because anything is better than Bait Car, which is also on that channel. But you want to know something (laughs) about Bait Car? Opening episode? Two blocks from where I grew up. Yeah. Oh gosh, is that a good thing? 
<laughs> Ma Hood was featured in the pilot episode of Bait Car. That's how hardcore I am, man. <laughs> so I am true crime. Well deserved. So, so anyway, folks, I want to thank Raven, thank you for being on the show and taking the second hour. And I want to yeah, thank Erin um, Marie for calling in, even though she's flat on her back. Yep, I had a lumbar puncture today. Nice little spinal tap. But you, but it relieves the pressure, and you'll feel better eventually. Oh, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. So that's good. And and thank you, Steve, for coming on re, on the sexy witches. Oh, always. My pleasure. Yeah, and um, we'll see all of you on the 24th for the big uh, Madness Rules read. It's going to be crazy. And Raven is my co-pilot on the Sears Madness. She's been helping me with the rules. She has – I did have to update um, a little bit, Raven, uh, one of okay. the podcasts, the podcast points, and I'll post that. I, I'll just post that part. I won't post repost the whole page. Um, you know, okay. I, I just had to refix the scoring because I didn't realize that some of the Eli Roth podcasts were over an hour. And I listened to Quentin Tarantino oh, wow. today, and, and he's on the list, and it was two hours. So I had to rescore it. Wow. That's a four-point podcast. Wow. I know. You can get points during your commute to work. I know. I am being such That's a generous awesome. Benevolent overlord this year. Wowie wowie. All sorts of ways. So listen on the 24th. You can learn how to play the Halloween Horror Movie Marathon Madness, a.k.a. the Madness. It is a Facebook group. Go to the Facebook group. Join the Facebook group and talk about horror films. And then you can participate or just follow the fun in October where... 40 or some people will battle it to the death and watch as many fucking horror films as they can. This year's theme is... Raven, what is this year's theme? Of Kings and Masters. And who are the kings? That would be your Stephen King. That would be your Hellraiser guy, Clive Barker. And that would be Mick Garris and the Masters of Horror Dinner Guests. Woohoo! And uh, it's going to be amazing. The scoring is n- totally different. Even though we do have bonus points, it's totally never scored like this before. Scoring is completely different this year. If this is, if you're into wild, if you're into wild cards non-genre, you could do an entire madness and not watch a single genre film this year. Sean Burkey, the king of loopholes, is going to have a field day. Oh, yeah. with, <laughs> it, it is, it's crazy. I mean, this, I mean, um, she's got the sneak peek. I know she's been busy, but she got a sneak peek of the rules. I am two thirds of the way through the scoring sheet. I'm waiting for her to look at the rules and get back to me before I finalize that. But we're almost to go. R- rules are almost to go. I haven't worked on any of the banners yet, though. I don't know if I'm getting those done. My new job has good and bad things about it. Good thing uh, it's very very busy. I don't know if I'm going to have time. I'm going to have late hours as it is with the, with my job doing the madness, which is fine. I expect it. Sleep is optional. Uh, <laughs> I've done lots uh-huh. of harder things than to have a new job doing a madness. Um, but the podcast goes on hiatus and goes to one a month until December. Uh, and uh, 
But uh, what was I? I was going to tell you something important, and I forgot what it was. The twenty. What, what was I just saying? <laughs> oh my you god! Have I, new I took a hours. Of, you're kind of huh? all over the place. I think yeah, you're talking about. I don't even know what I was talking Good. about. Good. Sorry. Good. Well, <laughs> you said Sean Bricky would have a field day. <laughs> yeah, because and then yeah. we got into scoring. Yeah, well, anyway, so have you looked at the rules yet? I have looked at them. I haven't done I haven't done my second stingy look at them where I noticed things like spelling and all that jazz. Yeah, and some of that you realize I have fixed since I've sent it to you. I just haven't given you an I'm update. Sure. But yeah. Um, yeah, there's no there's only one major change right now the podcast scoring everything else is a, everything else is a go we have our secret film rule uh riddles they're ready they're trivia this year uh, i don't know if i'm going to get a trivial bonus points in i still need to do banners for teams i don't know when i'm going to get that in i don't even have a banner for the madness yet um <laughs> we'll see what we can do um look for the event banner page. contest I'm- for points yeah, I've done that. <laughs> Actually, video nastier. I did do that. Um, yeah. So uh, I also had them write a cannibal Holocaust essay. I don't know if you remember that. So I do uh, not remember that. That was my first year. Yeah, I made people everyone wrong. Yay or nay, cannibal Holocaust, right? So Stephen King, <laughs> Mick Garris, and Clive Barker are the kings, and then they are supported by the Masters of Horror, the ten from the original dinner. And then the 30 or so from the guest list, which are people who have been there at least once. And then there's a small list of wild cards, as always. This year, Bruce Campbell, as always, is accompanied by the lovely ladies of horror filmmakers. So uh, we have like six filmmakers, including uh, that are wild cards, including the South Skies, Jennifer, uh, Jennifer Kent, Karen Kusama, uh, Catherine Bigelow. That means the Hurt Locker is worth points this year. Um, But all the rules, and we'll explain everything and give the full list on the 24th. This big three-hour, two-to-half to to three-hour extravaganza. So thank you all for being on the air, and thanks, uh, um, Jill Jill and Aaron uh, Kogan from earlier for being on the show. It was a wonderful show. We're going to take a break. Be back in two weeks. Are you guys ready for some madness? I was born mad. Oh, my God. Here we go. Yeah, I mean, I've been trying to get more Clive Barker into the madness because everyone's going Stephen King, but I think I've done pretty well. Um, I wanted to announce one final thing for the madness, and then we're going to go for the night and go straight into Fear Inoculum, Tool's new record. Uh, And... uh, uh, that we are say if you are thinking of playing the madness and you're listening to this save horde and save all your saw or hellraiser movies for week three we're gonna have a binge contest on week three so uh it'll be a lot of fun so, so saw all the saw, saw movies yeah saw and yeah the hellraiser movies the saw was directed Three of the Saw movies were directed by Masters or written by Masters of Horror. And, of course, Clive Barker did the first two Hellraiser movies. There are eight Saw films and nine, I think, ten now Hellraiser movies. So if you you have to watch all eight 
you have to watch all eight Saw or eight out of ten of the Hellraiser movies or watch all 16 for points in one week. So that'll be, That's we'll explain amazing. all that next week. Yeah. So much love and madness. Good night. We're going to play Fear Inoculum by Tool, which knocks Taylor Swift off the charts, much to the chagrin of Taylor Swift fans. They were all like, who is Tool and why are they so famous? And we're like, guys, it's pretty fine. studying. Time to go to school. Here we go. Good night. Much cool, love cool. and madness. See you on the 24th. Good night. Good night.